I'm a ranger, a new Belgian beer ranger. You can't see my uniform because we're on the radio, but you can bet I'm wearing it with pride. Wandering the land from coast to coast, bringing good beer to the masses, well, I can develop quite a thirst. Now we've crafted a beer with Simcoe, Chinook, and Cascade hops, the Ranger IPA. So bold and refreshing it can satisfy a ranger's thirst. Try a new Ranger IPA and then head online to get in uniform at newbelgium.com. Employee owned, alternatively empowered, New Belgium Brewing. Follow your folly. Ours is beer. We got Rangers in position because we got a great mission for yourself and IPA. Sit back and just listen. Turbine spinning with this is the shorts and you're listening to the dirtbag diaries the first time someone asked me to compare scars i drew a blank other than a few indistinguishable puckerings on my knees from sliding into second base my skin was relatively unmarred Somehow, those didn't seem like a worthy answer to the question. We were talking about prideful battle badges. I had none. I hadn't even broken a bone, I admitted. I jinxed myself that night. Within two years, I had more than my fair share. Some scars only I am likely to notice, like the side of the tip of my ring finger that I lost in the meat slicer while working at a deli and bakery in Telluride. Or the one on my upper lip, that I got on Christmas Eve after building a kicker with some friends in the backcountry. I had never been off a jump before, and when I quietly asked my friend if I should lean forward as I jumped, he said yeah, and I pushed off towards the jump. Of course, I was thinking Olympic-style ski jumping. Instead of landing on my skis, I 100% face-planted into the snow. The scar still goes oddly white when it's really cold out. Others are more noticeable. I had a two-inch scar on my left arm from breaking my radius while riding the poison spider trail in Moab. It covered a plate and six screws the doctor put in. I say had because after being given the okay to start biking again, I snapped the bone again right at the end of the plate. Almost six months to the day. While the nurses giggled and ogled my x-ray, I lay on the ER bed knowing I would be upgrading my hardware. Seven screws placed along a nine-hole plate, covered by a new three-inch scar. I cursed my bike at the time, though I did start riding again. Years later, I cursed health care insurers as they denied me insurance because those screws are still embedded in my radius. But don't get me started on that rant. There's wonderment in scars, the remnant of an able body healing itself. Cutting deep enough into the dermis activates a special type of cell, the fibroblast, that begins synthesizing collagen and collagen fibers. The fibers layer and build until the scab falls off and the new skin is revealed. Well, a scar isn't really skin. The texture can feel almost rubbery, the coloration paler. There are no hairs or sweat glands. Scar tissue won't stretch or grow. It's a static remnant, but it works well enough to patch up our skin 
and allow it to continue protecting us from the dangers lurking outside. And all that happens without you having to do a single thing. Now that's service. The fibroblast may heal quickly, but scars contain memory and emotion, and not always the happy kind. This healing process is more gradual. While I may notice a scar when I first meet someone, I don't ask about it. As friendships develop over swap stories, the scar is like a puzzle piece that I try to fit in. I look for the clues to point me to the reason, the incident. I try not to be overly curious and don't want to seem rude. But sometimes, after a time, I just know that it's okay to ask. I know Fitz's scars and their stories nearly as well as I know my own. The backs of his hands are forever scarred from sporadic gobies from thousands of hand jams. Last summer, he decided to fly off his bike into a tree, scraping his back and cracking a rib. The rib is healed, but a scar marks where he hit the tree. And then there is his scar, the one that defined a good deal of his childhood, that helped him make him who he is, the one that required operation after operation to allow his face to grow correctly. At the age of two and a half, the family dog mistakenly lunged for his face and eye instead of the sandwich in his hands. It didn't let go. That is Fitz's first memory and the story he's carried through his life. Through his childhood, he had to endure constant questions from schoolmates, teachers, and random adults. The doctors did an incredible job. He slowly regained control of the right side of his face. As he grew, the scar tissue, unable to grow, pulled on his eyelid. When it would no longer shut, the doctors would reopen the wound, make the scar bigger so his eyelid could shut and protect the eye. When it would heal, they would sand the scar down. It was kind of wild because, you know, the, the kids could be tough on you. You could go to school, and I moved a lot, and sometimes the kids were kind of brutal. But, you know, it was always funny because you know, I was a quiet kid, and, and, like, I just sort of, like, was pretty observant and just took a lot of stuff in, and I was always amazed by it was, like, the adults that could be the worst. Like, absolutely. Like, you know, you'd go to you'd go to this party with your mom or, you know, get invited to some family gathering or something like that, and the hostess would open the door and you'd walk in and it'd be like, oh, oh, goodness, what's happened to this one? You know, like, like and you'd just be like, I'm here. I'm totally aware of this conversation right now. And, and it was amazing to see how, how blunt people could be and, and somewhat oblivious, you know, to other people's feelings and... No, it didn't really it didn't really offend me or anything like that. I just noticed it. You know, there'd be people throughout my life that would just like you know, you'd like know that there was like another spirit there that like understood maybe what you went through or saw who you were. And I remember this one time my mom had this business business meeting with this guy and the guy saw a photo of me in her office and um, asked what had happened to me and he had he had had an accident as a kid and he'd gotten burned and it was like you know half of his face was fairly like permanently damaged it's probably in the 70s I think you know um, when he when we met and he asked if he could meet me if we could go out to, to lunch and my mom said yeah okay you know she organized this and I think we went out with my dad and my mom and um, his wife and they were there and you know he kind of he just asked you know he just asked and he kind of told me what he'd gone through and 
his experiences of like having a mark like that, which was which was much worse than mine. I mean, you know, if you wanted to go from that perspective, it was much more like defining than my scar had been. I don't remember a ton about that conversation, but I remember him at the end just saying, someday you're going to want that. Someday you're going to want that scar and it won't be bad anymore. And and I remember when I was 20 and I'd finished my cycle of surgeries and the doctors finally said, you know, we can get rid of this. The technology had improved enough that they could do it. And they said, you know, this can disappear from your life forever. And I remember in that moment realizing, like, I wanted it. Like, I wanted that. Like, it was okay. It was like, kind of helped make me who I was, you know? Kind of like colored my perspective and I just wanted it, and it was okay. And I figured I'd made it that far, you know? I'd survived, like, the teenage years, you know? So it wasn't that bad. Thinking back on the first time I met him when we were both undergrads at the University of Washington, I don't remember noticing the scar. That memory has been smudged through time. I remember hearing that story from Fitz soon after we met, and I recognized it as a powerful testimony to his character. I thought middle school was tough enough with my perceived flaws that I could hide. I rarely notice his scar now, except for when he's been working too hard and staring at the computer for too many weeks in a row. Something goes slack in his face. I know then it's time to shut down the computer, drag him out into the woods, and hope he doesn't crash into anything. At this stage in life, people often quietly ask me, rather than him, what happened? I stare blankly at them, not comprehending what they are asking, until they motion towards their own eye. It's a testament to how we, collectively, see ourselves and those closest to us. We no longer see the marked outer shell, but rather a richly designed fabric that is forever being altered, encompassing what we know ourselves to truly be. By the age of 16, I was pretty sure I would never be a leg model. And by the time I was 25, hand modeling seemed to be out too. I see my scars daily, but they have become so integrated into the fabric that makes me, me, that I rarely think of them. But occasionally I do, and it's like watching a video of myself in those moments. I see the characters in the setting, I smell the thinness of the Colorado air, I taste red dirt in my mouth. I feel my skin pulling taut against quartz grains. Sometimes, I see myself falling, a flipbook of images that alternates between my perspective and the omnipresent narrator. The moments are rich in the emotion, the laughter, the fear, the disappointment. I love that my skin has chosen to retain memories that I might have otherwise forgotten. The map of memories is starting to blur on my knees and shins as granite rock scrapes, crust blisters from poison oak, juxtaposed with a fall here, a ski edge there. Some may still fade as the summer suns tan my skin. Others that seemed innocuous at the time seem to be here for the long haul. My scars tell the story of where I've been, of my adventurous spirit, 
and of how passionate I am about living the life that I have been given. These imperfections that we call scars are a celebration of what we are capable of, of healing, of compassion, and of love. A diary of adventures written onto my skin. My name is Becca Cajal, and this is my short. Music today by Typhoon, YU, and Javelin. If you like any of the cuts, you can download them at our site, dirtbagdiaries.com. Most of our shorts come right from listeners, so if you've got an idea, write it up, put it in essay form, and send it on in to us at dirtbagdiaries at earthlink.net. Support for the diaries comes from Kuat Racks. Check out their line of innovative bike haulers at kuatracks.com. These are hot items. New Belgium makes the shorts possible. They're always looking for ways to engage the community and their newest effort, it's an awesome one for all you environmental and outdoor storytelling movie making dirtbags out there. Clips of Faith. It's a film festival and grassroots community event. Submit your film, it might go on tour across the country or you can go watch it if you just want to. And you might win an all expense paid trip out to the Fort Collins Brewery. It's pretty sweet. Check it out online at clipsoffaith.com. Additional support comes from Patagonia. That was Becca. I'm Fitz. And you've been listening to the Dirtbag Diaries. Now, I think I'll go see if I can run into a tree. Wish me luck. <laughs>